welcome everyone to a very special edition of the George Sanders Show. Those sounds that you hear are uh, theater goers heading towards the men's room at the AMC Pacific Place in downtown Seattle. Nothing but the best for the George Sanders Show. <laughs> That's right. We're about 15 feet away from the uh, urinals here. Um, it's, it's getting close to 10 o'clock, which is usually my bedtime, so we'll see how this plays out here. But uh, we're here once again. Uh, a little less than a year ago, we came here uh, to see Johnny Toe's uh, Don't Go Breaking My Heart 2, which uh, opened for, for one week in, in the Pacific Place. Uh, and once again, we're back here to talk about the new Johnny Toe movie. This time, it'll be Office, his... Uh, his foray into the musical genre, starring uh, Chai Yun Fat and Sylvia Chang. Um, so yeah, we're gonna dive into that. We just watched it. We literally just came out of the auditorium um, from that. So it's gonna be a, it's gonna be an interesting conversation. Uh, and then later on in the show, we're gonna do a preview of our upcoming uh, trek to Vancouver for the uh, film festival, which begins a week from today. Or for us, it'll begin a week from today. And uh, we're also going to talk about a film uh, from 2009 called Police Adjective from uh, Romanian director Coram, what is it, Coram? Cornelio Coram. <laughs> I had it later in the show, you'll hear me say it right. <laughs> like I said, it's bedtime for, for Mike right about now. Uh, and we're also going to talk about Johnny Toe for an excessive amount of time. Yeah, a long time. So we recorded the... Uh, second part, second and third part of the show earlier. So once again, it's like a time travel episode. Um, this is the end of the show for us, but it's the beginning for all of you. So uh, Time is a loop. Time is a loop, uh, yes. And it's, it's a lot busier in this auditorium than it was uh, three hours ago when we started recording. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people going to see The Maze Runner. Yeah, Mission Impossible. Is that still playing in there? Maybe that's not Mission Impossible anymore. I don't know what's going on. Uh, uh, the visit is, is what it is. Oh, is that the visit? Okay. Which is also really good. That's what I hear. Uh, there were nine people in our show of office um, tonight. Not not as strong ten, a showing as... Ten, ten people. Ten people. Ten people. 50-50 split, white and Asian, which is uh, surprising. Yeah. Uh, that Those numbers are a lot different than what we saw last year for Don't Go Breaking My Heart 2. Yes. Uh, in many respects. But um, we're going to listen to a clip right now. Uh, this is from Office, and uh, I bet you it's a song. Probably a song. Probably a song. So here's a clip. Chan 
城老地方，阳朔风浪在哪里都一样，江水铺满在哪里每样的苍茫。只怪那个逃避欲望的天堂，有太多时间去想象欲望，想象闯荡，闯到这个埋葬青春的老地方。还往哪里荡？往哪里干？往哪里忙？往哪里想？ All right. So, Office is Johnny Toe's adaptation of a play that was written by Sylvia Chang. Uh, the play was originally called Design for Living, and for some reason they changed the title to the much less interesting Office, possibly because a bunch of film critics kept saying that it was going to be a remake of the Ernst Lubitsch film <laughs> based on the Noel Coward play, and it is not. It is not that at all. At all, it is, it is uh, the furthest thing from that. I still think that Design for Living is a is a much better title. Well, it's also. And it is an applicable title to this movie. I mean, yeah, I mean, they're both applicable titles, but well, yeah, Living but is, is much more interesting than Office. It's just the, the long tradition of, uh, of generic titles given to Asian films continues. Well, not just Asian I mean, American foreign films. films. A lot, I mean, pretty much every movie now is like the most boring title you can possibly imagine. True. <laughs> But anyway, but Hollywood doesn't rename its own films. It names, no, they just it gives them terrible names to begin with. Well, they take John Carter of Mars and yeah. they cut off the of Mars part. Right, because it's alienating. <laughs> right. Get it? Yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it. All right. Um, so it's uh, it is set in two thousand eight, uh, right before and then in the midst of the financial crisis. It's at, at a financial firm, and there are basically uh, six primary characters, uh, three women and three men. Uh, the company is led by Chow Yun-fat and Sylvia Chang, who uh, have a somewhat odd relationship that we learned about through the film. Uh, the middle management couple is played by Eason Chang, and uh, uh, Tong Wei. Uh, Tong Wei is an accountant who has a fiance, but who lives in a different city. And uh, Eason Chan's character is David, and he is a uh, uh, addicted to gambling on the stock market, which, uh, as we know, will have disastrous. Right, that doesn't always work effects. out. Never works out. Uh, their their relationship is kind of the prime mover of all of all of the machinations that happen throughout the film. And then the the third couple is a a pair of new. Uh, recruits a kind of naive young man who introduces himself as uh, Lee as an Ang Lee, Zhang as in Dream, many many times, many many, times. and a a woman who uh, we quickly learn is Chiang Fat's daughter, but she is pretending to just be a normal nobody so she can work her way up in the company, and her name is Cat. Uh, 
the the film plays out with lots of songs. It's a very kind of Broadway style musical, uh, little kind of Sondheim light. There's lots of big chorus numbers. There's not hardly any in the way of dancing, but the real star of the film is is the set design, which is just unlike anything you've really ever seen before in film. It's very stage-like. It's very artificial. There's lots of uh, of grid lines, parallel lines. There's no real uh, walls or windows or ceiling or ceilings through throughout the the whole set. It's this massive set with with just lines everywhere, and the and uh, the office is where we spend the majority of the film. But even outside of that, there's like a restaurant with no walls. Well, yeah, it's all the same set. Yeah, yeah, it's all on the same sound stage, and they just redress yeah. it for. Uh, you know, it, their needs. And yeah. Besides a couple of shots of uh, people in a car with, like, yeah. you know, digital projection behind yeah. them. Yeah, like, really obviously. Really obvious. Yeah. Intentionally really so fake. Yeah. yeah. Uh, everything is on this very grid-like set. Yeah, so it, so it all kind of plays up this artificiality of this world that, that they've constructed. And as the plot plays out, it's... It, Nothing really innovative in, in, in plot. It's, it's not like a Y Cafe mind bender where, no. where you know, your expectations are totally going to be upended. It's, it's a fairly basic morality play about, about high finance. Uh, it has a lot... I was reminded a lot of, uh, of movies from, like, the 1920s and the 1930s from, from the Great Depression, uh, stu- that era, stuff like Largent, which we talked about on the show. Uh, before, not so much uh, the uh, De Palma film we talked about, the same show. Was Bonfire, of the Bonfire of the Vanities. Not so much that. <laughs> it's much more of a of a Largent or, or like The Crowd or uh, uh, yeah, yeah, more that kind of thing. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't know that we really need to talk about the plot. There's. It's not yeah, really all that. Much it's not really all that interesting. Uh, what do you think? About it? I think it's a very. I really, I really want to embrace this movie, uh, and there's so much about it that uh, makes me want to just take it in my arms and, and hug it. Uh, I, the set design is it's astounding. I mean, it, it just to see it. I mean, it played in 3D in, in China. And, uh, and in Toronto, and, but, but we won't get to see it like that in North America. And usually I'm like, ah, 3D is a waste of time, but I, this would probably break my brain <laughs> in 3D in a good way. It's, it's something that really obviously is meant to be shown yeah. in 3D, and you can just see how great it would look. Yeah, because there's, there's, there's so many different planes of action, you know, there, and since there are no walls, you know, even though, you know, even though the camera is always usually focused on the main point of action, there's always stuff in the background that's happening um, where, like, uh, you know, two characters will go into a different room, but then you'll see the conversation of the people that they left still going on in the background. Um, the, the camera is much closer to the actors than it typically is in a Johnny yeah. Toe film, and that's got to be for the 3D effect because they would be, like, leaping out from the screen with these these parallel lines that the set is made up of, these fluorescent lights with the grid lines of, of like, the fake walls would be receding into, into space and, and, yeah, just arraying all of the different planes of action. Yeah, and so that's that's great. The, the set is incredible, and I... And I really love that artificiality that, that comes with the whole thing. All the, you know, the fake subway train that doesn't have any real doors. And all, all that stuff is just 
wonderful. And, and I love the idea of, of, of making a musical about the financial crisis. Um, but, but I really more appreciate it from a distance. I don't know if the whole thing comes together in any sort of meaningful sense for me. Um, like you said, the plot is kind of generic. Um, and I didn't really, with one exception, I didn't really care for any of the characters uh, in the film, and I, and I didn't really care where their trajectories went. Um, so a lot of it was mostly me just uh, enjoying the pretty pictures, uh, and the pretty set, and um, and then I and then half of the songs were were, were pretty fun, uh, and then the other half were pretty forgettable. Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of music in it. Like it's not, um, it's not a musical like Frozen where you have like six songs. Like there, there's music like constantly. Through right, the and there are little vignettes that you know are just like four lines or something, and yeah. then it goes into something. Else. And and there's like there's chorus music. There's the actor singing. There's there's like a neat break in artificiality where someone, where like the whole group is singing, and then someone keeps singing. And everyone looks at him like he's right. insane. That, right. that was funny. Uh, there there are some funny moments in the film, but it's not a comedy. It's, it's yeah. It's very melodramatic. Right. And uh, I I know exactly what you're saying. Like there there's not anything really new there, but I really liked the way that that melodrama was executed. I think the the performances, especially uh, uh, Tang Wei and Sylvia Chang and Chow Yun Fat, I think are all really, really good. Tang Wei was Sophie, right? Yeah. That's the one I want to single out. She's fantastic. Yeah, and she's you know, she was in Black Hat as well, which we talked about on the show and she's having she's having an excellent year. Yeah, she, uh, yeah, she, she was just phenomenal in 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 this, and uh, and she was the the one point where I was like really caught up in in the characters. She has a couple of really emotional moments where she's you know got to really bring the ruckus. Well, she's she's also the most emotional character, and she's the most sympathetic right. character. Like the the Chiang Fat and Sylvia Chang characters, I think are are really fascinating. Uh, but they're but they're, but they're but they're so closed off. Like Chow, especially. This is like the least emotive I've ever seen Chow Yun Fat in a Chinese film. Yeah, and it's and it's intentionally so because you know, I don't know if you've seen any recent Chow Yun Fat films, but like in, in from Vegas to Macau, he is like off the wall bananas. Right. Like you know the biggest smile in the world, just bouncing all over yeah. the place. And here there is none of that. Yeah. He is he is completely closed off. Nobody has any idea what he's thinking at any time. And it's so interesting. It is, and yeah, I agree. It is interesting, and and and, and I do I do like the melodrama as, as it builds to that kind of climax, and it, it feels almost operatic near the end, where there's um, uh, David is running up the stairs to run to the roof. You know, he's 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 screwed up big time, and uh, and it's basically his last gasp, and and. And when when all of that kind of melodrama really boils over, um, I can get into it. But um, and and yeah, I like I like the end. The, the ending. There's this banquet where uh, Chai in fact kind of uh, takes control. He's been on the sidelines yeah. the whole movie, kind of just watching things play out, and then well, he, manipulating. Well, yeah, 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 but I mean, behind, but he's things. not front and center. Yeah. In the in the plot until the end, where he kind of. 
makes his yeah, Sylvia gambit. Chang thinks she is the prime right. mover of the plot. And I and I do like that. That actually kind of reminded me. That banquet scene reminded me a bit of uh, All About Eve. Uh, you know, where there's all this underlying stuff going on. And I got a, like a, a Scarface vibe mm-hmm. out of it. Like Chow is gonna like take a baseball bat. <laughs> no, he's too elegant for that. <laughs> he's remarkably thin in this movie. Yeah, well, he's, he's old. Yeah, I was. I, but anyway, um, but yeah, but for long stretches of this, I was kind of. Uh, I wasn't invested in it um, as much as I I would have liked. Um, I, I particularly the uh, when it came to the young the upstarts the the two kids that had just joined the company. Yeah. Um, their not only was their story kind of flat, but the, their performances I I just it was all kind of bland. I don't know. I don't know if it's the story or if it's the performers. Like there's there's something that's not really clicking there. Like they don't really have they don't have chemistry. They don't really have much chemistry. They're not given much to do. Right. They're just kind of of pawns in the plot. And the the daughter character especially doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Like there's right. there's like an interiority that's lacking there. Right. And like her her relationship with with Sophia Chang with her mom is 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 really kind of vague and unclear and. I don't. I don't get it. <laughs> right. I, I mean, I don't. I don't really know what the purpose there. Like, she should be. And by the end of the film, like it, it looks like it's been set up that she's made some kind of like moral decision to go down one path or another mm-hmm. path. But I don't know what that is. Right. Yeah. We're not. We're not given enough to uh, to care or yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, the mo- the most dramatic. Uh, thing that happens to her character is in the scene in the in the preparation for the big banquet where where her father Chiang Fat is is wearing a black tuxedo and Sylvia Chang is wearing a bright red dress and the daughter is wearing a dress that is red and black. That and and that shot, by the way, yeah. stunning, gorgeous, loved it. Thought it was yeah. beautiful. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, exactly. Um, there, yeah, and their relationship for lack of a better term because it doesn't really progress that much but like it's all fits and starts you know there's all of a sudden um, they're supposed to have met each other and he was late because he's busy with work because he's so you know obsessed with work and he gets chewed out by her but like you don't really you feel like there's like some scenes missing yeah you don't uh, like they don't have a duet where they they sing together and like a a young love kind of thing They, they do get like do two like lines a, where they're making coffee and, and he's like, he sings off to the side like, oh, I love her. And she sings off something like, I'm hiding a secret or something like that. But yeah, they don't get like a big, uh, yeah. like you said, duet where they get a kind of cement their affection for one another. Like the, the relationship between, between Yusin Chan and, and Tang Wei is, is much more romantic, even though you know that it's horrible, horrible. <laughs> and you just like want to scream at, at her to stay away from that dude because yeah. he sucks. Uh, that's still more a con- more convincing relationship. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. I they're pretty uh, no name actors. I I've never heard of them before. I I believe they're they're mainland actors, and you know, and and maybe that's just that the other four are actors that I have seen in, in several films. I I you know I recognize them. I identify with right. them more, and they're much more experienced performers. Right. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Or it could just be underwritten or a 
you know, scenes left out of right. development in order to get it down to, to a two-hour running time. Right. I assume the play is longer. Most plays play, are longer plays than films. Plays tend to be a little longer, yeah. Yeah, so, so maybe that's where... And it did, it, yeah, it, there were moments where I felt like, even though the plot is pretty straightforward, it did seem like, like they're packing a lot in. You know, there's a lot of, you know, movement um, forward. Yeah, the there's not a lot of time to linger on stuff. Yeah, the uh, the financial transaction that kind of runs through the film and is like the the spine of like the the conflict between between Chow and, and Chang doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, and it might be like poorly translated, or it might just not be all that interestingly developed. Right. Like, they appear to be getting into business with some company, but the company is floundering, so they want to spin it off and do something else. But but they don't tell each other that they're going to do that. Yeah, it, yeah. The, that whole scheme of the film, like the MacGuffin of the film, doesn't yeah. make sense to me at all. Yeah. And, uh, Lingerie, Sean. I feel like there's, <laughs> you know, I mean, I feel like there's a reason that it's a cosmetics company and that they're spinning off into lingerie, but I don't know what that is. Mm -hmm. And I wonder... Why, if you're making a film about the financial crisis, why you would choose it to make it, to have that be the plot? Right. Why not, you know, an actual financial transaction, something right. in, in real estate or something like that? Right. Uh, and I don't know. Yeah, neither do I. I'm no financial wizard. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Uh, I agree with you on the music. Like a, a lot of it is really forgettable, uh, but some of it is really cool. Some of it is uh, some of the duets. I think the the song that uh, I'm going to have played at the beginning of this is uh, just a, a really beautiful duet between between Tong Wei and, and Eason Chan as they're kind of uh, falling in love for the first time. Uh, I think that's really great. There. Are, most of the duets, I think, are really good, and it's it's something with the uh, the two melodies going on, the two different yeah, they're doing this it. layering effect. Yeah, yeah, that that's really neat. I like the all of the songs that are choruses. Like there's like this kind of operatic march that the whole all the office workers sing in the beginning, and then it's reprised at the end. Uh, I think that's really cool. And I really like that one too. Like a, a, a children's <laughs> choir that sings a, a right, with like an acoustic guitar. Yeah. Uh, oh, and that shot. Speaking of. The shot when the when the children's choir because we don't even see the children's choir but right. there's this tracking shot that happens during it where it's all on the same set and it doesn't cut but it goes from like the train station up into these trees and then down and it starts raining all of a sudden and there's a, like a bicyclist and then it goes back into the trees and then it stops raining and it ends at a food cart totally awesome yeah there's <laughs> there's a lot of really cool visual yeah visual effects yeah, like that it's really awesome. There's a there's a Citizen Kane track through a window. Yeah, that and was awesome. I was <laughs> it's like it's like raining outside, and and all of the workers are in a restaurant, but there's no walls, right? Right. Uh, so all the workers in the restaurant, and you hear them singing with the rain in the background, and the the camera tracks through where the the window should be, and as soon as it passes the plane, the the sound drops out of the rain behind, and you're like you're inside, and the inside volume picks up, and it's really neat sound effect. Yeah. Like it's the it's the Citizen Kane track, but entirely through sound because there's not actually a wall there. Yeah, uh, yeah. I actually yeah. The that chorus song when they're in the in the diner is is another good one. Um, yeah, a lot. I liked a lot of the chorus stuff and and, and 
But yeah, and then but then like half of it, it's like someone didn't finish the song. Yeah, it seems like <laughs> it. It reminded me kind of of, of Doctor Horrible sing along blog. It's it's kind right. of like a a Sondheim ish. Right. Didn't put in all the effort to finish. The yeah, score. like it's it's got that that kind of Sondheim rhythm where right. where there's a lot of, of singing and a lot of it is is kind of reprised and you come back to it and and there's like similar things that get that get expressed throughout the thing and not all of the songs are like particularly memorable on their own in the way that you would get like with a an MGM musical, right? Or something like that. This is more of a modern musical where this most a lot of the songs just wouldn't make sense outside the context of right. of the show, right? Uh, yeah, you wouldn't miss, you wouldn't be like cranking the uh, the soundtrack in your car, driving down the freeway. I mean, you would if you're like really into show tunes. <laughs> in the same way that you would like, or like high the, finance, that you might crank the the soundtrack to company, you know, just to, right. to cruise around. Sure. Yeah. In your Benzo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what this movie's missing? Lamb suet. Lamb suet. No lamb yeah. suet in here. Was, but there are a lot of Johnny Toe to, players. Yeah, the the security guard at is, the elevator is a, a regular from the early Milky Way days. Uh, he's also in Sparrow. He's in Sparrow. Yes. Uh, and uh, oh no, he's in Drug War. Is he in Drug War? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. One of the, a lot of the 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 kingpins in Drug War are old yeah. Milky Way guys. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure I also saw a gray haired guy, although I thought he might have died. So I don't know. But the. Uh, when Chinese Fats in the the pink walled restaurant, uh, mm. the gray haired guy behind him, I think, is is uh, this this actor who almost never has a line in in his movies, but he's in like most of the early Milky Way films, and he's got gray hair. He's like this little guy. He he plays like the, I think he's like the Taoist priest in My Left Eye Sees Ghosts. Mm. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, I just maybe, always, yeah, maybe, I can never remember his name. I just yeah. always call him gray hair guy. <laughs> and then there's a gray hair guy in that scene, so I think it might be him. Oh, yeah, because there's only one gray haired guy in yeah. all of China. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm hoping that's gray haired. Right, right. Well, yeah, I could, I'll look it up later okay. when, when I'm home. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I. I think I think it's good. I think there's something to say for a really a really well executed melodrama. Not like like not everything has to subvert the form or reinvent the wheel. And I, I understand your complaint that there's not enough there, but I just wish the material matched the audacity of the you know construction of the thing of the piece. Yeah, and I wonder if there's if there's something to that if. If the you mean it's compensating? Well, no, not necessarily that, but but just kind of laying bare the theatrical artifice of it at the same time executing a, a, a really kind of generic and schematic corporate melodrama right. story. If you know, there's some relation between the this idea of the theatricality of modern life and the the phony rules that you know that the finance system rests upon. I do. I do appreciate how bitter this is. It is. It's bitter. It's pretty cynical. <laughs> it's this, you know, coming off of, of "Don't Go Breaking My Heart" too. Like yeah. Johnny Toe seems to be in a sour mood. He's kind of. He's kind of angry. Yeah. You know. He's. He's. Uh, you know. He. He's. He's taking them to task. I feel like this is his. Yeah. His Michael Moore moment. 
I've been uh, I've been doing the best I can to to avoid reading anything about this, but it's hard because as as it just played in Toronto and people are tweeting about it, and I'm like clicking on the reviews and saving them and not reading them. But I I have seen some comparison of this to Life Without Principle, mm-hmm. which I I think is one you haven't seen. It's not, yeah. Uh, Although it was in my hands like two days ago, and I thought about checking. Uh, it's good. It's the other film he made in 2011, along with with Don't Go Breaking My Heart, the the first one. Right. Uh, and this is not like that at all. Ah. Uh, it is also set during the financial crisis, as is Don't Go Breaking My Heart. Right. Uh, but but Life Without Principle is like is like three separate stories, each of a a dis, dif, uh, Following how the crisis affects like three different kinds of people. Like one is a, uh, uh, she's like a young uh, uh, broker who is like pressured into uh, convincing a, an older woman that she knows can't afford it to invest in risky stocks. Uh, another is a, 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 a like a low-level triad played by Lao Ching Wan who uh, is like scrounging up money because the triad's gone bankrupt too. Uh, and then there's like a cop who's trying to buy a house, and the three stories all kind of interconnect. And this is not like that at all. No, no. This. I mean, there are three intersecting stories, but it's much, that, that. This is much more hermetic, and it, it's all like we said. It's all contained within this, you know, kind of tower of high finance. Uh, it's it's a completely artificial world. It, it's set in Hong Kong, but it, it could be set could anywhere. Be anywhere. Yeah, like and and Johnny Toe's movies normally have such you know like amazing local color. Right. Uh, there's no food. Right. Does anybody eat? Well, they have the banquet, but nobody eats. And they at the go banquet, to the diner, drink, but nobody. Oh, the, the 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 young kids that they do they're having their lunch break. They do have a lunch break. Yeah, they're sitting eats, on the steps. She, she eats she, a salad, and she makes fun of the busty one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't remember any other Johnny Toe movie that doesn't have a scene a big with people, yeah. you know, shoving food in their face. <laughs> like, and it's, it's. I think it, it's, uh, on the one hand, I miss the local color of that, the, the specificity of location. Sure. Uh, on the other hand, the, it would kind of defeat the purpose because it's, right. it's supposed to be a universal, sure. generic story. So, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, as that as that sound signifies, we're we're cleaning the theater. So with that, we're going to take a break. We're going to listen to a little bit of Mira today. Uh, this is uh, the title track off the album Advisory Committee.
So welcome back to the show. And uh, we're going to go from that lovely discussion we just had about Office into uh, our I'm person. Sure, I'm sure we liked it. I'm sure, I, I hope so. Wouldn't it be funny if we hated it? It's possible. Yeah. You know, I actually thought about that uh, earlier this week. Like, I was all pumped and stuff, and I was, like, getting more and more hyped. And then I was like, you know what? This could totally suck. I think I think I think if I came out like against this movie, like vehemently against it, it would be what the the wrestling fans call a heel turn. <laughs> well, you have been a heel for a long time, so I've True. been waiting for the turn myself. Yeah, you never know. I can't wait to listen back and find out what we thought of the movie we're gonna watch in like two hours. Yeah. Uh, but at this point, you know, the first episode of the show was recorded back in June. Of 2013, is that right? June 2012. No, not that long ago. 2013. 2013. Drug War is a 2012 film, but we saw it in we 2013. We saw it, well, right. Something like that, yes. Yeah. But, but on that inaugural show, we watched a Johnny Toe movie, and Johnny Toe was our person of the week. And at that time, listeners of the show will know that that was my first Johnny Toe film. And so and I didn't have much a, to contribute. Yeah, made for a, <laughs> a kind of a lackluster discussion of the person of the week. I have no recollection of actually having that conversation. But I'm pretty sure I just talked about Johnny Toe for like 10 minutes. Right. Well, that's kind of par for the course on, Which is, on this show. It's anyway. not really unusual for me. Yeah. I, but uh, As anyone who has ever listened to the show or any other of my podcasts or ever had a conversation with me. Well, and that's probably why I don't remember it is because I don't listen to what you say ever. Right. Yeah, whether you're face-to-face with me or, you know, on the podcast. It's a wise, wise plan. Yeah, so it's all new to me. But anyway, at this point, we're, you know, two two years and change in the future. And uh, I've now got more than a dozen Johnny Toe movies under my belt. So we figured uh, we're going to revisit him as our person of the week. It's slightly fewer films than Johnny Toe has made since uh, <laughs> right. <first> episode. <laughs> Uh, but I think maybe maybe we can have a little more of a, I don't know, back and forth dialogue at this point regarding the works of Johnny Toe. Let's do it. I am a fan. <laughs> Decided fan of the man. <laughs> Except for Office, which you hated. Uh, your future self told me. But, yes. um, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm a fan as well. Um, and, you know, we, I think we, t- we did talk about this, um, well, I think we've talked about this numerous times on the show, the perception of him in the states is is As unfortunately just an action director, right? And uh, and obviously, it's the last two films he's released, one being a musical, and one being a romantic comedy of the darkest kind, shows he's got a lot more in the uh, in the tank than just that. Well, of the the films he's made this decade, the vast majority are not crime films. Right. Like, there's there's drug war and life without principle, sort of, mm-hmm. and blind detective, sort of. But, right. other, but other than that, it's the, it's the Don't Go Breaking My Heart films, it's, it's Office, the, the musical, and Romancing in Thin Air. Right. Uh, which is like a, a romantic drama. Right. Yeah, so... I mean, and people that listen to this show are, are a lot smarter than the average bear, so they, they recognize that now. But um, but it's funny, I was ranking, I got the Johnny Toe ranking going on Letterboxd, you know, and, um, 
And I was looking at my order there, and for me, the top tier stuff is actually that stuff, the latter stuff that we're just mentioning. Um, I just recently watched one of his earlier films, not super early, early, but early for me, uh, My Left Eye Sees Ghosts, mm -hmm. you know. From, and, from 2002, I believe. Right. So, you know, over a decade old, you know, probably about 20 films back. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that movie, I, this might be a shocker, might be my favorite Johnny Toe movie. It's, it's remarkable. It's it's one of my favorite. It's uh, it's one of the ones we talked about when we did the the Johnny Cho, the Johnny Cho. That's one of the films we talked about when we did the the Johnny Toe They Shot Pictures episode, which I believe was also in 2013, in spring of 2013. I don't know. I'm like I sure. said, I don't listen to this show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's a really complicated movie. Like there's there's a lot going on. It has like this incredibly silly premise and title, but there's so much more to it than just a, a, a goofy Hong Kong rom com. Well, and it, it, I mean, it starts out very broad, um, and actually, in a way, it kind of ties in with something like um, what's the muscle one? Uh, uh, running on karma. Running on karma. Um, where it, it starts out kind of with this goofy premise, but then takes kind of a, a left turn, a heel turn in the uh, in the third act, and, and gets into some really profound and uh, poignant stuff. You know, the, in, in particular in this one about loss and and um, love and and all and heartbreak and you know all that kind of stuff, and um, and it gets to you like it gets under your skin, like you don't expect it going in, and then there's kind of a bait and switch. And you realize you catch yourself getting wrapped up in the relationships of these characters and where things are going, and uh, and it builds to this kind of you know emotional crescendo, which is uh, very effective. Yeah, you have like the silly slapstick with like ghosts possessing people, and and was it like a a woman is like eating everything? Yeah, constantly. Eating. Um, yeah. And then and then. There's like this this like sweeping like crane camera movement on a, a pool filled with sunflowers and like tears form right just from just like just simple you know basic romantic you know emotion this this strong feeling of loss that the the main character has and guilt. Well, I like I like you saying simple because yeah, there's the the the, the kind of emotional climax of the movie is. Uh, a woman shouting towards uh, like a, a bay, and uh, and being told that she needs to shout the opposite of what she actually feels, and that it, that's the simplest thing in the world to do. You just you just you know and uh, like film, you know cinematically or whatever. Um, but the way it's handled, it just it, it hits you in the gut. Yeah, and there's there's this perception you know partially partially fueled by Toe himself is that when he was making these. Uh, all of these movies in the early 2000s, when he had he had first formed uh, the Milky Way Image Studio in the late 90s after the the handover of, of Hong Kong to the Chinese, right. uh, he wanted to have full control over what he was doing. He worked as a producer and then kept interfering in his employees' work, and then eventually just decided to direct everything himself right. and started churning out like two, three, four movies a year. Um, and there was this perception that that he fueled that he made the romantic comedies with like Andy Lau and Sammy Chang in order to make money so he could fund uh, the crime movies that were his real passion, like the the, the darker gangster movies, like right. the election films. Right, or, Exiled or something like that. But 
you know, the if that were the case, they would be cheap throwaway romantic comedies. Right. They would be a lot more like the romantic comedies he made in the late eighties. Right. Stuff like uh, Seven Year Itch with uh, with Sylvia Chang, who started in, in Office, or or The Eighth Happiness with Chow Yun Fat. Right. We're gonna take a little break here as uh, the Maze Runner is getting out. <laughs> Uh, movies which were more just kind of strictly farcical films, right. more like a more like a Stephen Chow movie of the same era, right. uh, as opposed to the movies that he that he was actually making in the early two thousands, which are more like Stephen Chow movies now, which are which are silly, but also have like a real heart and intelligence and and you know sensibility to them, uh, and the fact that since the election movies. He's really made very few crime movies and has made a number of romantic dramas and a number of like more, you know, generically complicated things than just Anthony Wong with a gun being mm -hmm. cool. Mm -hmm. uh, makes you look back at that earlier period and see that his heart really was in those uh, comedies as much as they were he it was in the action films. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the investment in the and the ways that something like Don't Go Breaking My Heart Two plays with the tropes of a, I mean, he's clearly engaged in in what a romantic comedy is and what the construction of one is and what makes one successful and he's and he's critically and and intellectually engaged in playing around with that format he, you know like that movie that's a difficult movie that's not a movie that that's not a uh, 90 minutes of fluff you know no, it could it, if it was just a cash grab you could easily just have the same sensibility as the first one. That's what you do with the right. sequel. You make another exactly. version of the same one. Uh, if and that's also how you get positive reviews for your sequel, which Don't Go Breaking My Two Heart Two didn't get, right. especially among U.S. critics who had there was a, a tendency to say, "Well, this isn't as funny as the first right. one. This isn't as charming as the first one." Clearly, he's you know made a mistake. I I just rewatched it. Uh, I've been gearing up for for this for Office. Um, and I, I rewatched a few things and saw some, some things for the first time. And rewatching that one, this may be the even more controversial announcement here. That might be my second favorite movie of this. I, it's fascinating. It's endlessly fascinating. And like, like we said on, on the, the brief you know, review we did of it last year at this very location, the way that it takes the first film's successes and, and kind of magnifies them and, and questions them um, is what makes it so successful. It's great. Yeah, I don't. I don't think, he, at, at least since he's founded Milky Way Image, I don't think there's ever been a time, except with one exception, where he has not been fully engaged in the material that he's directing, where he hasn't put everything mm -hmm. that he can think of into the film. And the exception is uh, this 2008 film called Linger which was, I think, the first film he made as, like, an international co-production with China and Taiwan that is kind of a... It's like a... a uh, kind of a played-straight, melodramatic, slowed-down version of My Left Eyed Seeps Ghost. Mm -hmm. It's a similar kind of, like, supernatural love story that it's fine, but just compared to all right. of the other films mm -hmm. he made, it's just really kind of lifeless. Right. Um, and you know, I don't want to denigrate the the crime stuff, you know, where, um, because I think that that stuff is 
is really, really good. I mean, I've seen Drug War now three times, and I think it's, it's as successful on the third go-around as it is in the first, and there's a lot of um, things that you can enjoy the more times you see it, because you don't have to follow the plot. You can follow performances, or you can follow those kinds of things. And then, uh, yeah, then there's that string of movies like Exiled and stuff. Uh, the which, Hitman films. Yeah, the Hitman films, which are... Um, I mean, those are crackerjack entertainments too. You know, I'm not saying that those are. You know, I'm not. I'm not trying to be uh, contradictory and say that you know the romantic comedies and what have you are are yeah, infinitely better. The the ones that that are that tend to be my favorites. Like I have a, a lot of favorites. Like I, I I find it hard to like narrow it down to just one favorite. But the ones that are among my favorite are the most idiosyncratic ones. The most hard to classify generically. Yeah. Stuff stuff like Running on Karma. Or Throwdown, Sparrow, or Sparrow, that aren't they aren't really crime movies. They aren't really comedies. They aren't really romances. But Sparrow, there are, are there are elements of all of that in them. Sparrow is the weirdest movie. Like I just rewatched it, and and that one, is once again taking sort of a left turn, in the middle of it, like there's there's this, you know, kind of lightheartedness to the whole thing but then it builds to this like stylish I mean that last scene in the rain with the umbrellas and the crosswalk takes what like 10 minutes of screen time and it's like all like silently acted out oh it's, it's less than that it's like it's like three minutes but it, but it, but feels, it feels like, like yeah, yeah. Um, anyway that movie's nuts yeah, and then riding around on a bicycle and doing all these kind of you know yeah but it's it's so loose and it just kind of it doesn't have a genre. It just kind of invents exactly. its own yeah. universe. It's like a. It's like a. There, there aren't films like it. You, Nobody else makes films like that. The, vi the vitality of that movie is is kind of like it's like a, a like a sketch. You know, like when you see like a. It looks like Jacques Debye making pickpocket. It's like it's it's not possible. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way. I would much prefer that. Yeah, to, um, to Robert Brisson's yeah. pickpocket. Yeah. Yeah. Or or or. What the flip side, uh, Brisson's uh, Umbrellas of Cherbourg or something. You see, I can imagine Brisson's <laughs> Umbrellas of Cherbourg, and, and it's, it's nothing like Sparrow. It's not very colorful. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Brisson's Umbrellas of Cherbourg is, is, is the exact same story, but the music is like the Melvins. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, really? Or something, you know, even less expressive. There you go. <laughs> Um, yeah. I don't know what to say, where I don't want to go from there. Uh, I mean, do you, you, you said you've had, uh, you've thrown out a couple of suggestions for what might be your favorite. Do you have, do you According have single, to my list, you know, one? Sparrow was at the top of my list since I watched that one because it really kicked my ass the first time I saw it. Then on rewatch, I still liked it and appreciated it, but I think others have kind of grown in estimation over time. Like, I really want to rewatch uh, *Romancing in Thin Air* now that I've seen more of his stuff because I, you know, I saw that one after only a handful, and obviously there's a lot of um, callbacks, and, and that movie is, is very yeah, meta. There's a number of, of *My Left Eye Sees Ghosts* right, references, right? There. And I, yeah, I picked up on that kind of stuff. Um, so, so films like that have kind of lingered in my brain and stuff. But uh, the the list I have on Letterboxd, I think my top five is uh, *My Left Eye Sees Ghosts*, *Don't Go Breaking My Heart* two. Drug or Sparrow, Drug War, and Exile. Have you seen any of his pre-Milky Way films? I have not. No, I think the earliest... 
I don't know what the earliest one is that I've seen, but uh, no, I, I have not. Uh, uh, well, you should see The Mission if you haven't seen The Mission. I haven't seen The Mission. You should see The Mission. I really want to see Blind Detective, too, but it's not... Blind Detective's good. I can get you Blind Detective. <laughs> I, I think I've been asking you for Blind Detective for a long time. I, I can get you. Scarecrow's got Don't Go Breaking My Heart, too. Really? Yeah. They, they never got Blind Detective. I know, that's I, why I, I haven't watched I've it. Been, I've been bugging Matt about it for, for two years. Well, that's why I was shocked to see in the new releases that they had uh, Don't Go Breaking My Heart, too. Yeah, that's unusual. Well, maybe it, it had... Well, it had uh, an American distributor, where No, but it was a region... It's not U.S. release. Yeah, it's it's a it's a import. it's a it's a yeah weird so, yeah anyway I guess it, it I, I guess it didn't it didn't have like a US DVD release no weird yeah so anyway Scarecrow now that you're geniuses uh, <laughs> congratulations by the way you should spend that hard on hard earned money on getting at least one copy of Flying Detective yes and while we are directly addressing Scarecrow Scarecrow we should suggest that they take two minutes and. Uh, spell Johnny Toe's name correctly <laughs> in the director section, <laughs> which I've also been bugging them about for like three years. Yeah, uh, you should talk to uh, who you talk to because Kevin's the floor manager. I've talked to Kevin. Okay. Talked to Kevin. I've talked to Matt. <laughs> I've talked to Joel. I've, I've talked to them all. All right. Uh, I understand. I understand mm-hmm. the pain that you're feeling. Yeah. Uh, What's your favorite? Gun to your head. Running on Karma. Uh, the last the last time I saw it was the the third time I saw it and there's just there's just so much there like yeah. it just it just grows so much every time you watch it like mm-hmm. it's I like I like films that encompass a lot of things that that have a lot of stuff in them to chew on and that and that expands the more you think about them and and running on karma I think is a great example of that. Yeah, and like you said, it goes back to that idiosyncratic nature because, like that, you know, some of his uh, some of his uh, more straightforward movies, like Full Time Killer and Breaking News and stuff like that, they're really great and they're really well done. But they all they kind of blur in my brain. Like I can't think of specifics to each one. Right. I mean, you know, the tracking shot in Breaking News or something like, but like uh, accepted. But at the same time, plot specifics and stuff don't really stick in the old. Uh, Stransky brain there, but uh, but yeah, something like that, running on karma or something, um, is so unique that it, it can't help but uh, remain. Yeah, some of his some of his early ones are 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 very good. Like he just he didn't suddenly start being a good filmmaker in 1999, right, or something like that. Like uh, he had the top grossing movies in Hong Kong in 1988 and 1989, both both of which starred Chow Yun Fat, and and this office is his first film with Chow Yun Fat since. The early '90s, I think, like the the, the fun luck and the tycoon, I think. That sounds was about right. Was fat film? Uh, but the the eighth happiness is just this ridiculous farce that's like deeply offensive. <laughs> but is the people who are making it are having so much fun, mm-hmm. and then in. In 1989, the the number one film he he directed is his melodrama with with Chiang Fat and Sophia Chang that was also written by Sophia Chang or based on a story by her. Uh, so this is like a a 26th anniversary reunion of right. of To Chang and, and Chow, and that is another really interesting film. It's like a kind of a Kramer versus Kramer thing where he's like the single dad who has to take care of this of his son, and then the mom wants to come and 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 take him away, and then. It has like the most bizarre, abrupt, and and really jarring ending mm-hmm. to a family melodrama that I've ever seen. 
Like it, it, it kind of goes too far. Like he, like Toe is, isn't quite uh, in control of all of the right. crazy things you right. can do with sure. a melodrama. Uh, but uh, it's a really fascinating film, and you know there were huge hits, but never crossed over into the U.S. Right. Like his his only cross hit crossover films from that early. Uh, era were the heroic trio films, and those are just because they had three pretty ladies in superhero costumes. Right. Well, hey, I'm not. That's not beneath me. No. Yeah. But uh, it's it's taken him such a long time to build a, a following in the U.S. and it and it seems like it's it's kind of growing. Although when uh, the editor of the AV Club uh, tweeted out uh, Ignaty Vishnevetsky's office review today, he said. Uh, that it was sneaking onto U.S. theaters, which I guess it is. But in my little bubble, this is like a major <laughs> release of the year, and people have been talking about it for weeks. So, uh, yeah, but I mean, as evidenced by last year's discovery, I mean, it's not. I mean, this is. I mean, this has been promoted a little bit better. I mean, there's a there's a thing in the lobby for this one. Yeah, uh, and I mean, it just played uh, at the Toronto Film Festival right. a week ago and got uh, almost universally positive reviews. It got better reviews than, than Don't Go Breaking My Heart 2 did last mm-hmm. year. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it feels like the film event of the year. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, where well, This is what happens when you live on the internet, Sean. Yeah, I guess. Um, <laughs> so, but I mean, yeah, but, I don't know. I mean, but I do think that more and more people are, are coming out of the woodwork and, and are, um, you know, I, I, I think drug war um, did help a lot. You know, I think, I mean, people, although some people are treating that as, like, one, his greatest movie of all time, or the best movie he's done, and, uh, you know, the end-all, be-all. But I don't think anyone who's seen more than a handful of Johnny Toe films thinks that Drug War is his greatest film. I know, but I'm saying that yeah, but I, a lot yeah. of, like, you know, there, there are people that don't dive deeper, like my brother. Sure. Loved Drug War, bought the Blu-ray, thinks it's great, you know. Um, but that exposure, I think, is good in the long run, regardless, you know what I mean? Um, so, some more power yeah, to him. I hope he just keeps making romantic comedies and romantic dramas just to, to spite the people who think that, that Hong Kong cinema is just action filmmaking. Yep. Because they're, we're, we're so eager to put Hong Kong directors into that box. Like, and to say that Johnny Toe is a director of action films right. and, to, and to praise drug war. And like when, if uh, he's been rumored to be working on Election 3, and if, when that comes out, that's going to get a much wider distribution oh, sure. than, than Officer Duncan Breaking My Heart 2 did. Right. Uh, and it's going to get more praise from American film critics simply because of its, its genre, because right. it's something, it's what you expect from Hong Kong. Have you heard about filmmaker and Hong Kong cinema is so much more than that? Well, yeah, I mean, you are the champion. Of that that is your your goal in life. Have you heard about Eight and a Half? No. The, there's a rumor. Yes, I, I did hear about this. The, the eight directors, different directors. Yeah, yeah on, uh, chronicling Hong Kong's history. Yeah, um, that should be really cool. It sounds pretty amazing. If you look at the the record of who's lined up to direct that thing, it's pretty nutty. Yeah. The. Uh, if you can find like a, a subtitled version of the film Triangle, which 
I want to say we actually played at the Metro when it came out, but it's uh, it's this omnibus film with uh, a third of it was directed by Choi Hark and a third right. by Ringo Lam and then a third by Johnny Toe. So it's, but it's one story. Right. It's not like three separate stories. Right. It's just they wrote their script and took over the narrative from where the other left off. Right. And then, you know, finished it however they wanted to. So it's like this really interesting kind of experimental film. You see the three different styles of the directors. Yeah, it didn't get, it's not widely loved. It's really interesting. I'm not saying, I haven't seen it. I'm not, I'm just saying the buzz on it is not. Uh, the Johnny Toe section is the best. Uh, but so can you tell, how do you tell as the movie's going on who's, t- who took over? Uh, I think, I think there might be like little breaks. Inner titles or something. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's pretty obvious when you, when yeah. you have a change in sensibilities. But just those three guys who all kind of started at the same time, they're all from the same generation, and they've had such different careers over the last 40 years or mm-hmm. so, uh, it's just it's just really interesting to see them working in the same sure. in the same film. No, I find that stuff very you know exciting. Even even if the results aren't you know like something like New York Stories, which oh my god, sure. throw me off a cliff you know for that Coppola part in that. Whew. Um, but but I love it when there's or like Grindhouse or something like that when when there's kind of matchups or pair ups and stuff and and people are trying something different for once. You know, yeah. I, th- I find that interesting. Yeah. There should be more of that kind of stuff. So, anyway, so uh, that's this year's Johnny Toad discussion. <laughs> For what well, this episode's Johnny Toad discussion. Yeah, well. Um, Except in uh, about four hours from now, we're going to have another Johnny Toad discussion. Mm-hmm. So. Right, but they've already heard that. So. Right. Yes. Um, <laughs> so let's move on to uh, the Vancouver International Film Festival, where we will be landing in, uh, in about uh, seven days. Less than seven days. Yeah. Uh, seven days from now, we will be in a theater in Vancouver, possibly doing exactly this. <laughs> uh, so for our essential this week, we decided to we're going to do a little bit of a, a VIP preview um, and talk about some of the movies that um, maybe are the less heralded ones. Um, you know, there's, there's going to be... The, the, the anticipated stuff, I think we're all kind of on the same page. Yeah, with. like the really obvious one, the Ho Sha Shen, the Hong Sang Su, Tom Anderson, there's a new guy, Madden, yeah. um, that we're, we're all really excited about. Everybody's excited about those. But um, you and I have gone through and we've, we've kind of compiled our tentative individual schedules for our nine days in Vancouver covering the festival. And uh, maybe just a little bit of uh, talking about those movies that. Maybe it's a first-time director or someone we haven't seen anything from before and uh, what we're most excited about of the uh, hopefully hidden gems. Yeah, <laughs> well, you, you never can tell. And, and part, of you the, never can tell. part of the point of going to the film festival is to see something that you mm-hmm. can't see somewhere else. Um, right. And uh, so a lot of the times, if, if there's something playing at the, at the festival that looks interesting to me uh, that's up against... Uh, a more major film that I know is going to get released, I will choose the more interesting film, assuming that I can catch up with the other film sometime later. Right. Uh, I revised my list just a week or two ago when I discovered that a few of the films that are are playing in Vancouver um, are going to be at the Northwest Film Forum uh, before the end of this year. Yeah, like they've already announced the Guy Madden film. Um, 
and I think they're getting uh, the entertainment or something. Yeah, like the, that. The, yeah. the yeah, Some, yeah, a few other things. So um, entertainment, I think it's called. or whatever it's called. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I, yeah, I I agree with you on that because um, there's going to be big stuff too. Oh, and, and there's also going to be a bunch of stuff that I, you know we're not going to be able to see because the festival runs longer. Right, because we're we are we're there for what nine days. Yeah. Eight nights, and still we're missing like more than half a dozen yeah. of the films that I was really looking forward to seeing, which is unusual for Vancouver. Like normally, there's a handful of movies that I skip, but I don't think there's that I've missed. But I don't think there's ever been a year where there's been this many in the back end. Yeah, that they seem to have. Uh, normally, uh, the second week of the festival is more Canadian film focused. Mm-hmm. And the first is more like the Dragons and Tigers Asian cinema focus. And also the, the bigger like international festival tiles tend to almost all play in that first week. Mm. Uh, with the second week having more open space for like extra runs right. or Catch something. Up. Like if yeah. the Isabel Pair film is really popular, they'll, they'll do the right. third week. And the Isabel Pair film is always really popular. Right. Uh, she's huge in Vancouver. Yeah. Uh, this week, I think, I think they, they spread it out a bit more. Uh, which is a disadvantage for us who who aren't there the whole time. Right. But at the same time, I think at least, well, I, I haven't delved too deep into what comes after we go, but, you know, so the, the stuff that we're missing is stuff that will get a release, like Carol or, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, Carol's not playing there. Isn't, isn't it? I thought it was playing there. No. Oh. Uh, the big one is Cemetery of Splendor, the the right. Japan where it's at the cold film. Right. Which, and and it. It might get distribution. It's like hit and miss with with uh, with, with yeah. ethical. Uh, Boomy got a release here. Yeah, Uncle, Uncle Boomy got a release, and all his films before that got a video release at right. least. Uh, but Mekong Hotel never got released. But right. that might be just like an oddity of its uh, short running time. Mm. Uh, yeah. Well, let's talk about what we're gonna see or what right. we hope to see. Um, so we can we can talk we can bat around a little a little bit, but. Um, if, if there was just one that you really want to highlight that you're excited about, which one would you... Uh, uh, you make me pick one. I'll have to look around. <laughs> <laughs> it's the essential, Sean. It's the name of the game here. Uh, well, I won't, I won't go with any of the big names. I'll go with... Uh, uh, with kind of the first one, it'll probably be the first one I actually get to see. Uh, it's uh, called Lee Wen at Eastlake by Luo Li, who won the uh, the Dragons and Tigers Award three years ago, I think, at the festival for his film uh, Emperor Visits the Hell, which is uh, like a really interesting adaptation of an episode from uh, Journey to the West. Um, uh, Emperor Visits the Hell I like a lot. I don't really know much about Lee Wen at Eastlake because I try not to read too much right. about the movies, but uh, I liked the first movie so much. It's it's a uh, it's black and white. It's set in the present, but it's the story about the 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 emperor. Uh, I'm trying to remember the story. The emperor has to go to to hell. He dies, mm-hmm. and he like negotiates his way out of hell. And it's set in the present as like like a gang boss as mm-hmm. the emperor, and he goes to hell and has all of these like weird experiences. There's nothing like supernatural in it. It's all just kind of black and white people talking in like offices and rooms and and stuff like that. So it's this uh, kind of weird 
modernizing of a mythic story, and then it ends with like the whole cast and crew gathered around the table, like laughing and joking and, and having fun. Which out of character, out of character. Yeah, just, yeah. I think out of character. It's right, hard, sure, it's hard to well, say. Sure, okay. uh, so yeah, it's just this really interesting film, and uh, so I'm looking forward to what he does next mm -hmm. because the the Dragons and Tigers War has a really good. Uh, track record of of picking interesting filmmakers filmmakers who go on to do great work like like Hong Sang Soo, Jia Jin Kai, uh, Kore uh, Hirokazu, uh, Sisset Wissanest, Sisset Wissanestiang, <laughs> uh, yeah, people like that. So so as as Luo Li is one of the the last Dragons and Tigers Award winner, they they discontinued the award after in after 2013. Um, I'm curious to see where it goes from here. Yeah, so that's the, that's the first one. I'm skipping the first show, the Hong Sang Soo movie, so I can see that. Ah, nice. So um, everyone I know is going to that first show on Friday of, of uh, Right Now, Wrong Then, except me, because I have to go see the Luo Li movie. Let me see, when, I, when am I going to see it? Oh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to the Tom Anderson okay. at that time. Uh, and so I'm going to, the, so you're going to the Monday show? Of the Hong, yes. Okay, then I'll see you there. I'm skipping the Tom Anderson altogether because It'll it also conflicts with the, the Ben Rivers right. film, and I'm more likely to be able to see the Tom Anderson than the Lua Lee or Ben Rivers. Yeah, I'm not the biggest Ben Rivers fan, but... Uh, I really liked... Uh, that's another title I was going to talk about. I really liked... Uh, uh, Spell the Word Off the Darkness. The Spell the Word Off the Darkness. I was kind of bored. Uh, my my pick uh, is one I know. I mean, I know almost nothing about this. I mean, this was something that w I just saw it on the on the calendar. I clicked on the the title, um, and and you know, the, it, it sounds like interesting. It's directed by uh, Mauro Hersey, I guess. It's a Spain France production, and the film is called Dead Slow Ahead. Yeah, and uh, it just sounds. It, it takes place on a freighter. Um, going across the ocean, and it sounds very hypnotic and surreal. And I'm I'm pretty much basing my my choice to see this solely on the one image that's included in the in the guide here. Um, there's a trailer online and stuff, but I have not watched that at all. Um, but apparently, it deals you know it it's kind of a hypnotic, post-apocalyptic kind of trek into capitalistic hell. Um, but it looks gorgeous based on that picture, and I really like the title, and uh, it seems like one that probably will not get a lot of play outside of the festival circuit. No, I think I think just based on that title alone. <laughs> See, which is catnip it. to me. Right. I hear I hear dead slow ahead. I'm first in line. Yeah, I you mean, it's, I mean? it's like such a festival title. Right. That's <laughs> exactly the kind of movie that Noah plays there. That, that is, is uh, an intriguing one that, that I might have to skip so I can watch football. Oh, John! <laughs> Another one I might have oh. to skip so I can watch football, which uh, I might not. I might actually skip the football game just so I can see this. Wait, so, is the football game on Sunday? Yes, they play football on oh, Sunday. Oh, that's like. stupid. <laughs> they play football on Sunday now. <laughs> uh, the other one that I that I may actually skip football for, and then I may see Dead So Ahead, just because I'm already skipping the football game, is uh, A Tale of Three Cities, by uh, directed by Mabel Chung, and this is like based on the story of Jackie Chan's parents, apparently. Yes. Uh, That's getting a lot of shows at uh, Biff. I think it's got like three or something in the week that we're there. 
Uh, it's got two, and they all like overlap with with other stuff. Uh, yeah, there's like an, another reason. Like it, it plays at the same time as the Assassin or something like that. Yeah, that I, I obviously am not going to skip. Uh, but uh, Mabel Chung, I mean, we're, we're uh, I was just talking about uh, uh, all about all along. Uh, Mabel Chung directed another late '80s Chow Yun Fat kind of romantic drama called An Autumn's Tale, which is really terrific. It's it's set in New York, and uh, Chow plays like this kind of uh, uh, kind of deadbeat guy who lives in like a Brooklyn apartment and works like a whole bunch of jobs and his cousin comes and stays with him from China's like uh, Stranger Than Paradise except with Chow Yun Fat and, and Cherry Chung right. and then uh, he ends up like reforming and, and starting a restaurant in like this unbelievable romantic comedy twist uh, but it's it's a really sweet really nice film and uh, Mabel Chung hasn't done much since then she just hasn't directed that many movies. I think the only other film she's directed this century was like a documentary about Jackie Chan's parents. So I don't know what her connection with the Chan family is, but I'm really, I'm really eager to see this. It movie. looks good. I'm, I'm. It's definitely one on my list. I'm going to see it uh, the first night we get there. I think. Um, yeah, I rented one of her her film from 1997 called The Soong Sisters, uh, and I'm going to watch that this week. Uh, it's got uh, I think Michelle Yeoh and uh, and Meg. Uh, Maggie Chung. Uh, there's a there's a lot of uh, one area I'm kind of interested in, um, and once again, this is stuff that I'm not familiar with. It's not directors that I know much about. Um, is you know besides the Hong, there's there's a lot of uh, Korean cinema um, this year, and uh, there I think I've got like three or four that lined up that I, that I'm interested in seeing. There's one called Alice in Earnest Land, which sounds kind of weird. Might not be great, but there's a there's an adaptation of the Pied Piper called the Piper, which takes place in the 50s in South Korea, uh, which sounds kind of interesting. Um, and then there's one that looks kind of like a, a version of High and Low, um, and I can't find the title right now. But uh, oh, the Classified File. So there's a number of those that I'm I'm definitely intrigued by um, that are playing. Yeah, Alice Alice in Ernest Land looked interesting to me. Um, it could go either way, though. I was like, this might be one I, I really d- despise. <laughs> uh, the way the Dragons and Tiger system is programmed, if it, or program is programmed, uh, if it's like it has been in previous years, is uh, is one guy, uh, uh, Shelley Craker, picks the Chinese movies, the Chinese language films, whereas the, the Korean, Japanese, and like, you know, Filipino and, and like miscellaneous East Asian right. films are done by Tony Raines. Uh-huh. Uh, and... Uh, they have very different tastes. Right. Like Shelley's more interested in like political stuff, so you'll get like a lot of uh, kind of political documentaries like, or, or right. Chinese films that are like addressing contemporary China. Right. Uh, whereas Tony uh, will pick really good films, and some of his stuff will just be like the weirdest shit you've <laughs> ever seen. That you have no idea why he picked it, but it's just like your your weird ass Tony Raines Japanese film or, or Korean film. And there's a couple of those every year, and I, I enjoy the experience of watching the crazy things that he has uncovered. And, and that definitely sounds like, I think they even in the guide, they mentioned that this is that one this year, or yeah. Alice in Ernest Land is the, is the crazy yeah. one this year. So yeah. um, I think it's, it's the last one I'm going to see uh, on like a Saturday, Sunday night or something like that. So yeah. might be a good one to 
end the day with. But yeah, the uh, I don't know. The, oh, uh, the other one that a tale of three, three, three cities overlaps with is uh, the Pearl Button, which is by Patricio Guzman, who uh, he did. Uh, I think he did the Battle of Chile in like the early 70s it's like this really acclaimed four-hour documentary that's been sitting on my TiVo for like three years uh, I haven't watched it but I did, I did see his last film I think it was his last film called Nostalgia for the Light which is a documentary about the Atacama Desert and the the clarity of the air there and how it's great for astronomy and also how all of like the the victims of the the Pinochet regime are like buried there and people are still like trying to dig up bodies of of uh, family members that were disappeared under the, the fascist government. It's uh, so a really, really cool, really interesting, beautiful documentary. So I'm, I'm, I really want to see the Pearl Button, which is why I can't see the Tale of Three Cities at that time. Which is why. Yeah, and I think I might miss the Pearl Button because of you know the way things. But that's how it goes, you know. And and in a way, it's good, you know. It, we'll try and cover as much as we can, you know, uh, and which will mean one of us will see something and the other person won't. Right. You know, and we can adjust as the week goes on. If you if you say the pearl button, Mike, you gotta see the pearl button. I'd say sorry, Sean. <laughs> I'm busy <laughs> watching football. Yeah. Uh, screw you. And then no, no. But I mean, you know, it it's all a work in progress. But as of now, I think I've got. I think I said this on the last show, but uh, I think there's 34 movies I'm I'm uh, hoping to see, <laughs> and I'm sure I will not get. You know, near that, but uh, yeah, the the trick is to just have like a a schedule with something in every time slot, so that you know, you know, if you're up to it, you can just go see something, right. or if you if you need to eat, or if you right. just need to like sit down and write, or or just do something else, you know what you can skip, and and where, you know, I I have like this Excel spreadsheet, and I'm like consulting it constantly, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So it should be fun, you know. Uh, and we're gonna uh, one one that is under the radar, but not for us because we've already talked about it. We saw it at SIF, but we want to uh, encourage everyone else to go yes. see it because it, it does not is not playing at SIF. It doesn't have like the buzz around it like a lot of these other titles. The, is yeah. uh, a matter of interpretation. The the great Bangkok film that uh, we both really loved. Yeah. Uh, it's by the the director of. Uh, Romance, Romance Joe. Joe, which played at at VIF uh, in 2012, and is also terrific. Yes, I'm I'm planning to go and see it again because I want to see it on the big screen because we only saw it on screener and the screener wasn't screener of, was of a great, bad shape of great quality. And I'm looking forward to seeing it with an audience would be good. yeah, not just to see it on screen, but to see it with an audience. And and VIF audiences are like really receptive to the kind of humor you find in uh, in Korean movies and in Asian movies right. that, that the SIF audiences tend to not be. Right. Like, it was a night and day scene uh, Midnight After with a SIF crowd last year and then with the Vancouver crowd. Right. Like, with, with SIF, there was maybe, like, 30 people in the theater and none of them laughed at all. At VIF, it was sold out, it was packed, uh, and everybody was, like, totally into it. All of the scares, all of the jokes, right. all of, like, the, the, you know, inside comments about Hong Kong politics. And, you know, that, that movie also, you know, had, like, a political resonance and was going on at the same time as the pro-democracy protests in right. Hong Kong. Right. So, it's like, there was a lot going on. There was, like, a great energy to the crowd there. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, the yeah, audiences are, are amazing. Yeah. Um, and that's a movie that definitely deserves a wider audience and... Uh, is, is very interesting, and I'm and that's a director you know that I'm interested in in following 
uh, you know, two years from now, whenever he gets his next one out, I mean, he's he's a talent. I'm I'm really hoping he shows up there and we could try and interview him again. <laughs> Hopefully, there's an interpreter around. Yeah, well, uh, I'm, I'm sure that Biff <laughs> is a little better organized as far as that goes. Yeah. Well, and so you know, we're we're still undecided right now. We're or how we're going to do this, but we we plan on doing dispatches. We'll we'll be writing constantly about the stuff we're seeing uh, at Biff, and and I'm sure we'll do at least a podcast or two while we're there. We're not sure what the plan, the strategy is for that, but follow the Twitter and see what's going to happen with that. Yeah, if if uh, if I follow festival tradition, I'll write pretty well for like the first like three or four days. And then fall off completely. Uh, so maybe off. that's when we start podcasting. <laughs> uh, it's a thought. <laughs> and I just can't write coherently anymore. Right. right. Yeah. We'll just be like drooling into the microphone because our brains have turned to Well, that, that's when you go to the bar and you start drinking and then you See? start talking. I'm not prepared for this. I don't know. Do you think we should have guests? We've never had guests on the George Sanders show. Uh, well, we could have guests that could just do it instead of us. Oh, so we could get some sleep. That's a good idea. <laughs> that's actually not a bad idea. Just like uh, get your like iPhone and just hit record around Neil, and just he'll just talk constantly for thirty minutes, and there's your podcast. There you go. Just get him get him started on anything. You know, free content. Yeah. So, uh, so let's let's transition now uh, into the uh, discussion for the second film of the week, uh, and this is um, tied in as we said at the beginning of the show with with uh, an upcoming film that's coming to, uh, upcoming that's coming uh, to Vancouver, uh, The Treasure. So here is a clip from Police, comma, Adjective. Ghost my shit. Ghost my shit. Yeah, I can't remember. 
Okay, that's a clip from Police Adjective from director Cornel U. Porumboyu. Um, I'll tell you right now, I picked the song. Oh, <laughs> the song is, we'll get to the song. We're going to have a lengthy discussion about the song uh, here in a second. But uh, the film is from 2009, and um, it, it follows about two-thirds of it, maybe, the running time, is basically a cop, a detective trailing a high school kid, um, he's been tasked with, he, there's an assumption that the kid is a drug dealer, and, uh, and so he's been trailing this kid, but he's not really getting much evidence besides the fact that the kid likes to hang out with his friend and girlfriend and uh, get stoned. Um, that's pretty much it. The other third of the movie um, is showing snippets of the detective's home life and then also office life, you know, the bureaucracy um, and... Uh, kind of inept, you know, paper pushing that goes on in any office. Um, and the film is a black comedy. It's a dry comedy. And I think, as you were saying in the previous segment about Sith audiences and stuff, I could see this movie playing at, at an audience like that and uh, people not realizing it's supposed to be funny. <laughs> Uh, that tends to be my experience with the the Romanian films in general. Yeah, uh, you're, you you've been championing four months, three weeks, and two days as a great comedy for years now. Well, a horror comedy, <laughs> to be clear, because it is horror. Like an Evil Dead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Something like that, like right. Cabin in the Woods. Right. right. Sure. Um, yeah, and this movie, and I, you know, comedy, you know, can come in all kinds of shapes and forms. And while I think this movie is is uh, I do think it's funny. I only laughed out loud once. Can you tell me what moment I laughed out loud at? Was it the song? The, it was the, it was the final over and over again. It was the final line in the scene with the song where he okay. says, "It's like toothpaste without a toothbrush," and I was <laughs> and I cackled at that moment. But that being said, throughout the movie, there's a lot of stuff where you know it's 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 more of a serene funny exchange. It's like when his uh, when his uh, office mate wants to join the join foot his soccer tennis yeah, game, or, yeah, it's foot tennis, and he yeah. doesn't want him to, and he's like, "You're terrible." Yeah, <laughs> you're terrible. Like, no, I'm not letting you do that because <laughs> you suck. Um, why don't you just tell me that I suck? I just did. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. Um, so anyway, um, but the the movie, um, you know, it's not a it's not a Will Ferrell hijinks, slapstick no, no. kind of it, thing. It's more like a smile the whole way through. Um, but that being said, while I was watching it, and you know, there's, there's a, a good thing about this movie is it gives you a lot of time to contemplate things. It's very slow. And like I said, two-thirds of it is basically him just kind of standing around watching this kid. Yeah, for, for a lot of it, he's just on a stakeout. He's just right. standing there in the cold yeah, watching. Just, just or kind of or he's just like walking. Um, but one of the thoughts I had while watching it uh, was... You know, the, you know when like a successful kind of international director gets pulled in to do an American movie? You know, you got your uh, your stokers, you've got your stuff like, you know, Bong Joon-ho doing Snowpiercer or something like that. Uh, yeah, I, your, your Choi Hark, Jean-Claude Van Damme sure. films. Uh, your John Woo stuff. Yeah. Uh, I would love to see Porn Boy you come to the States and make a movie with Will Ferrell. I think that'd be hilarious. 
I think it'd be really good. And I think Will Ferrell would be open to doing something like yeah, that. I think he'd be into that. <laughs> but anyway. You know, Chris Rock, I think, would be more into it. Ah, uh, yeah, Chris this, Rock. This strikes me as more of a Chris Rock film yeah. than, a, than a Will Ferrell film. <laughs> Chris Rock being more verbal than Will Ferrell, who's right. more of a, a visual comedian. Right. Um, so, uh, how did you feel? Did you, did you enjoy, were you, you said uh, a smile on your face the whole time. Is that your experience with this movie? Uh, I think this might be a great movie, but I'm not going to know that until like six months from now. <laughs> right. Because there's a, there's a lot to chew on. Yes. And despite how slow it is in some sections, how little is happening for a lot of the film, it was not enough time for me to process it mm. all. And I watched it yesterday, and the 27 hours since it finished, has not been enough time for me to process. Well, and I think part of that is in the construction of the movie because uh, because not a lot happens for the very for the beginning, but then it culminates in the you know the final scene, which is where the the whole title it's comes so, into play. It's so amazing, it's incredibly dense, and and there's so much going on in the dialogue and the and and everything in that that kind the, of crescendo. The, the guy who plays his boss in that final scene, that that actor, is so good. Yeah. That's, Total jerk. That's right. <laughs> he embodies like every that, that headed boss. That is a supporting actor worthy performance, yeah. and he has one single scene. scene. He never raises his voice. Yep. He's just, he never moves. Right. He's just sitting there calmly at his desk, and he is he is terrifying <laughs> and he is hilarious. Yeah, and and that and that scene is terrifying and hilarious and thought provoking. Uh, and any other number of you know adjectives that you could describe to it. You know, like I was really. It, it turns into a thriller in that scene. Yeah, and there's a there's a similar scene in Four Months from Weeks Two Days. Have, have you seen that? Yes, I have. Uh, the I'm thinking of the dinner table right. scene. The, that's uh, probably the most famous scene in that movie. Yeah, yeah, with where there is where there is so much tension and there's so much going on in your main characters in your main character's head, and you've been so identified with her point of view, just as we are with the the police officer. Mm-hmm. We've been following through the. All, all of these films, these Romanian films, the ones that, that I've seen, at least are all procedurals. Mm-hmm. They follow one character as they have the seemingly simple task to do, but it takes them forever. There are so many steps to it that it just goes on and on and on, and, and it becomes increasingly absurd, the complicated process. But you're with them every step of the way so much that you become, you know, you become inside their head. So you feel that tension of being interrogated right. by your boss. You, you feel that tension of the, the woman at the, at the dinner table as she's got so much else on her mind and she's having to endure this like banal and the right. conversation with people. And it's, it's so, it's so well constructed. Well, and, and, and it's all like long take, you know, camera just sitting in the corner of the room, you know, I think it's I think it's one take. It might be two. It takes. cuts to the chalkboard at one point. Okay, but uh, but yeah, yeah. It, it's 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 pretty much one you know medium shot you know for the majority of it. Yeah, yeah, um, and yeah, absolutely. Well, going kind of splintering off of that, um, where where you're saying you're kind of you kind of uh, internalize all of this person's you know experiences because you've been with them all the time. Watching this movie. Um, when he's on the stakeout and stuff, I couldn't help but think about how, in a way, we as, you know, filmgoers, we're kind of constantly always on a stakeout, too. We're watching people, and like in this movie... So you, you, you have made the leap from image to symbol. Yes, I have, just like the wife. Um, 
Well, yeah, but and that that is the other that is the other amazing scene. Like the, there are the two amazing scenes that are what the film right. is about. Sure. Ultimately, there's the one at the end, obviously, and also the one with with the song with the wife. And I have to watch those scenes yeah. multiple times. I have to like kind of relive them and think about well, them in order to really understand what is going on in this movie because I think that there's a lot there, mm-hmm. and. Uh, but I haven't been able to process it. Well, once again, I think you know the movie kind of tricks you or lulls you because you get you've got such long stretches without any dialogue and just and just like inactivity on screen, and then those very hyperverbal scenes come up, and it takes you a minute to to catch up, right? You know, because you're like, wait a minute, now I actually have to like you, you kind of have to switch your brain from you know uh, uh, from left brain to right brain or whatever to to get into that. It's uh, or vice versa. You know, uh, pe- people talk a lot about like slow cinema, minimalist cinema. It's been like the dominant festival style for the last twenty years or so. Um, but it's so good at building tension and building suspense. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you talked about it on the last episode with with Jean Dielman, and yeah. and this film is, is very much in that tradition of you have like the long stretches of of mundane details and then so when things happen it's really shocking and it's right. really exciting right. when they do and not a lot of slow cinema directors actually use it in order to build suspense sure. but but uh, it, but it is on, an effective tool yeah on the on this film and and for almost three weeks two days I think they they these two directors do that really well yeah was uh, uh, Christy Puyu who did that one mm-hmm. and also um, uh, the only other of I've only seen two, three others of the Romanian new wave uh, films. But the other really great one is The Death of Mr. Lazarescu, which is also a comedy. Right. And is also a procedural that is a very, very black comedy. Right. Uh, that did not get uh, reviewed as such when it was released in the U.S. Both, both that and Format Three Weeks, Two Days were released as social problem films. Well, but it's funny, is I think if you. I, I think I've seen the uh, Romanian poster for Lazarescu, and it is—it looks like it's a, a Monty Python. Yeah. Like everybody's laughing, and they're all in a gurney, and mm-hmm. there's a body bag or something. It looks like Weekend at Bernie's. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And it's really funny. It's like the Sisyphusian quest where this this poor nurse has to drag this like really obnoxious guy who's who's dying right. from hospital to hospital to hospital, and nobody will see right. him for whatever reason. Right. Like there's another accident in town. All the hospitals are booked, and you know there's procedures. Uh, and it just it gets funnier and funnier and funnier right. with every new excuse. Well, yeah, but it is so incredibly deadpan. Yeah. Uh, you know, pun intended, if you want. But like, um, like. Like in this, it, it there's no there's no there's no uh, like winking to the camera or, or letting you know letting the audience in on you know hey you know we're we're making fun of bureaucracy or whatever you want to you know um, you just have to you just have to like realize that uh, it's capturing the absurdity of, of reality. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not heightened in any in any fashion. It's it's how things actually are. And that's ridiculous. Yeah, this one more than the other two, I think, uh, felt like a Roy Anderson film. Like it, mm. it reminded me a lot of, of Songs from the Second Floor in in that kind of deadpan comic approach, and also just the 
the way the office scenes are shot and and just the way the actors look all of like the schlubby men in the in the police station yeah his uh, his partner in his office yeah, yeah. that guy <laughs> like um, it's 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 obviously much more grounded in reality than right. than the the Anderson I think this also has but... more to say probably than Anderson I think Anderson yeah. throws a lot at the wall and hopes something's going to stick yeah but, it's it's definitely more focused on just one thing right than the Anderson films, which tend which, to be a which, collection of lots of things. Right, but this, in this, in in its way, because it, it focuses on one thing, it breeds at least in, in my experience. It, it there's a lot more ideas that come out of that. Sure. You know, because you get time to, to stew on that and stuff, um, and 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 then there's all these also these little bits, like you said, the minimalist style. I can't think of another movie where I got so happy when I saw someone change his pullover. Like there's a great there's a great moment where he's having dinner with his wife and she and she comments on the fact that he's been wearing the same pullover for four days. And and you don't even really realize that he's been wearing it for four days because you just get used to the character going around doing his stuff. Um, and then the next scene is shot so perfectly because he's down at the end of a hallway and it's obscured in shadow. So you don't you just see his his frame as he's coming into you know, walking towards the camera, and then boom, different pullover. And I was like, oh my God, awesome. Very exciting stuff. Um, so if, 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 you, if you get excited by uh, mundane wardrobe changes, I think this is a great movie for you. Yeah, it's kind of like the, the failing to turn off the lights moment right. from John Dealman. Exactly. Yeah, except it's uh, yeah. with clothes. With, with clothes. All right, so, so tell me your thoughts on the song. The song? Because there's, there's okay, scene, it's, 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 a, it's in the center of the film. Uh, the guy comes home, and his wife is uh, doing some work. She's watching YouTube. What, whatever she's on she's YouTube, doing. yeah. Uh, she's uh, so she's she's like an English teacher or a Romanian teacher, a, a yeah. grammar teacher, right. uh, an English teacher. <laughs> uh, I would, I would, wait, before you get to that, I do want to say uh, give a shout out. Uh, I. I really appreciate the subtitle work done in this movie because yeah. this is a very difficult movie to translate. Yeah, because so, so much so, of it so is much based of the dialogue language. is about the specific meanings of words. Yeah. And so credit to the speaking of English, credit to, goes to the uh, English language subtitle team because it, it you can follow what's going on. But anyway, back to the scene at hand. Uh, he he comes home. He gets his dinner, and and you hear the song, and then eventually he goes over and joins his wife, and she's just watching this this video on Romanian YouTube over and over again. Right. So he walks in the house, and the song is just wrapping up, and then he sits down for dinner, and it starts again, and you see the ir immediate irritation in his body language as he's like, God oh, damn it, you know, because he's he's been through this before. She's on she's on a kick, and and it and it's like a three and a half minute long song. And the camera never cuts. He eats his dinner the, during the duration of the entire song. And that's when we get the subtitles for right, the song. For the song. And they, then it they, plays they, it they, again. Only, they only give us the subtitles once, though. Right. And then we go back. And then, yeah, then it plays for the third time. And he goes to, to hang out with her on the couch. And they have this conversation about the meaning of the song. And he thinks the song is stupid. Yes. Because it's, it, the lyrics are compar it's, it, comparing love to, um, like, if the sea... What is it? If the, if, if the sea didn't, uh, have, didn't have a sun, if the, if the field didn't have the flowers. Right. And he says that doesn't make any sense. It would still be a field. <laughs> right. He's kind of disputing the, the purpose of metaphor. And he's also a little drunk. 
Yes. <laughs> as she ascertains. As, yeah, as, as he has had an indeterminate number of years. Yes. Um, which also great, by the way, that, that exchange. Um, and the, the whole conversation has come as after he's had this encounter with his informant who he doesn't trust and believes is lying to him and his informant uh, continues to lie to him. Right. So he, he's already skeptical of the meaning of words. Right. He, yeah, he's, he's, he's coming at it from the day, the day has put the thought into his head. Um, and she argues, um, it, it turns into a matter of, you know, symbolism. And uh, what was the other? Anaphora. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, yeah. She tries to explain metaphor right. and how metaphor works. And that it's an image that takes on a meaning. It's an image that becomes a symbol. Right. That it, it stands for something else. And like the, the, the field is always a field, but when there's a flower in it, that's love. Right. And, uh, and he's not buying it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's dumb. <laughs> Basic, but you know, it's 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 a microcosm of male female relationships right there. Yeah, you know. Uh, so what do I think? So when so, are you saying what what side of the do, line? Do you have any thoughts along? on how that linguistic discussion plays into the plays problem? into the final linguistic discussion? Because uh, I I have that's one of the things I haven't reconciled about this. Right. Thing. I I don't really know how that fits together yet, but I am pretty sure that it does. Yeah. Well, in. In the end, what's interesting about the end of the movie is that he gives, you know, he's asked by his boss to give his, what, what he believes is the definition of conscience. Right. He, uh, he doesn't want to do a sting operation on his suspect because he doesn't think that he is actually a drug dealer. Right. And he doesn't want to ruin his life over a simple marijuana possession. Right. Because right. that's dumb. Yes. Uh, he feels like a, a moral qualm against that. He says he won't do it, he won't act against his conscience. And so his supervisor asks him to define his terms and to break down right. exactly what he is saying. Right, and so it gets into this discussion of conscience, and his, what's so interesting about that scene is his description of conscience, as, as uh, inelegant as it is, as he kind of stammers his way through it and kind of, you know, he is clearly not a linguistics professor. No, he's not. <laughs> At the same time, I identify with his description of conscience much more so than when we ultimately get literally the dictionary definition. Right, it's, a, it's a functional right. definition. Right, and it, and it goes through all the different forms that I, that I can take or whatever. Um, so as we follow this cop through the whole movie, I'm pretty much on his side the whole way through. Um, I think the song is pretty silly. <laughs> I don't think the song means anything. Um, I think he is correct in um, that, he, yeah, why are you going to bust this kid for smoking a joint? And three, his version of conscience is, is the correct one. Um, but at the same time, his wife has a, a point that, you know, Whatever it's it's poetry. It 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 it, it goes to a, a bigger truth, or it, you know, it, it's not. It's an imperfect. It's 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 not. It can't be confined, but it's you know, it expresses it. It's a form of expression. Yeah, um, it's it's the opposite of a dictionary definition. And, and I think he's. I think maybe those two scenes he's caught 
in between those two worlds where he's a cop. He, he for the most part, he's by the book. He has to be, um, and that's what he has to do. And while his, his wife is on the side of uh, art and expression and, you know, kind of, uh, you know. Metaphors. Not, not, yeah, metaphors. It's not rigid. Right. You know, so I think I think the the play between those two scenes is that he's he's in the middle of that divide, you know, where with his wife he's the hard ass, right. and he's like, "You're stupid. That doesn't make any sense." And then with his boss, he's like, he that's when he shows his own kind of uh, humanity or whatever, and 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 flawed, you know. His reasoning may be flawed, but it's but it's the truth. You know what I mean? Yeah. The the final lines of the film, I had to I had to rewind and, and watch again. Like I wanted to that, like, that scene stand up and, and and applaud. Yeah. The Mr. Pullenboyo, yeah. because he's like reading out these definitions, and and the boss is is such a dick. And he's well, like, and the interjections of the boss yeah. during that perfect. Yeah, and you know, like I said, the actor is is amazing. And then uh, his final one is is he's made to define police, right. to define his job. What is his job to right. do? Is to uphold the laws, not the moral laws, but the laws of the state. And he's reading it, and he gets to a police adjective, adjective right. as as in a police state, uh, the you know the unquestioning enforcers of fascist rule. And the the boss interrupts him. And disputes the dictionary right. definition, and, and says that's wrong. Right. That's not what it means. Right. It comes from the Greek. Right. And what's very interesting about that is, uh, once again, the the way the the film is constructed is once again we're in this kind of long take shot of the three of them, his partner, him, and, and the boss. And when it goes to that, it cuts away it cuts to, the book. to the book, and you see the dictionary definition, and then you hear. And that's where it kind of plays tricks with your head, because you're like, wait, we're looking at the definition written out, and now the boss is saying that what we're looking at is not true in that one moment. Right, and it's just, it's, it's so good. It's, uh, uh, it's the, the line immediately came to mind from, from Touch of Evil, that uh, a policeman's job is only easy in a police state, right. which becomes more and more true every year. Yeah. And... and uh, Obviously, with all of the lot of arguments them. about about police brutality in the United States, but it's you know it's the same thing. In uh, it's equally applicable to Romania sure. under under communism. It's a, it's a police state, and yeah, yeah, it it, uh, it, it took my breath away. It, it was, was yeah, it was amazing. It was it was a really really elegantly constructed scene. Um, because and then and then the credits roll. It's just, it's, it's a mic drop. <laughs> no, no, you get you get one you get the coda where he, we, you know, the question he has till four p.m. to decide whether or not he's going to go through. Oh, right, it. and then he's going to. And do then it. we right, cut to right. him actually showing the plan of his attack. Right. Um, which is him giving in, which is the most bitter, you know, because he he lives in the police state yep. that denies its own existence. Right. Um, so that's a bitter pill to swallow at the end of the right. movie, but um, but it's also the perfect ending. Yeah, it, you know it. You you couldn't. It wouldn't be effective if he uh, quit. If he challenged his boss and said, "No, screw you!" Like that's not this movie. That's not this movie's not about standing up to to the authority or whatever. It's 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 
finding your own way under you know within this trying to set your own set of rules and and maybe a code to live by underneath this kind of totalitarian or fascist uh, <laughs> well it's it's the inability to follow such a code well you're right exactly the the where you kind of you you kind of uh strain at the seams or whatever of that yeah, yeah. so uh but yeah i i really enjoyed it uh myself i thought it was very good and and um I, and I and I really did get on board with that style. And, and going back to what we were saying at the very beginning, you know, and as I said during Jean Dielman, I don't care. I don't movies that are quote unquote slow. That's that that term doesn't scare me. Like that's, it's, it's it's not it's, it's slow, but it's never boring. Never boring. I mean, there's a scene of him just sitting. It's like literally the stakeout. He goes and gets some tea, and he drinks the tea. Then it's nighttime. It's like he's trying to figure out where to put the tea bag. Right, and I'm like, that's dope. Yeah, and you get to look at all of the uh, interesting Americanized graffiti behind him. That well, it's, it's not slow because he's always doing something. There's always a procedure, and and I really like procedures. I'm fascinated by watching people do right. things. Like the slow movies to me are when people don't do anything, and he's always doing something. Yeah, no, there's always something going on. Well, there's the interesting, you know. <laughs> Probably the most broadly comic section is the kind of Kafka-esque uh, going from uh, department to department. Trying to get his co-workers trying to, to get his co-workers out. to help him. And, oh, man. I mean, that talk about tapping into to like a universal truth there where he goes to the, the, the first woman and she's like, and he's like, I need this by the end of today. And she's like, well, I'm leaving early. I don't know if I can do it. And he's like, well, you know, how about before lunch? She's like, well, but I'm going out with a friend. And, you know, and like, you know, and then he goes to the next guy. And everybody's got their own excuses why they can't do it. And it's just like, you can't rely on it. It's like people. working in an office. It's like working in an office. Which we're going to go see soon. Because <laughs> it all comes back around. It all comes back around. So, yeah, so that's um, Police Adjective, and I'm looking forward to The Treasure, um, which yep. uh, sounds very intriguing um, at Biff. And I do, I do want to see his other, you know, he's got uh, 1208 east of Bucharest. Yeah, that, that was uh, another in, like, the first wave of Romanian films right. that, that came out. I think it might have been, like, the first one. Yeah, I think it was really his sure. first feature. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so anyway, uh, yeah, uh, that's our discussion of Police Active, and we're going to listen to some more Mira now. Uh, this is uh, the hidden track off of her debut album. You think it's like this, but really it's like this. And this is the song appropriately titled Words Cannot Describe. The album is titled You Think It's Like This, But It's Really Like This. Yeah. That's a pretty perfect title. Yeah. <laughs> Together I can tell our romance will be like a spell. Can 
Thank you, Mira. Uh, I really like that song. Yeah, yeah. Mira's uh, was really that record when that came out. I was living uh, in Olympia, Washington, where it was released, and she lived at the time. And uh, I just listened to it over and over and over again. And uh, her next record is 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 good too. Uh, but then after that, she kind of fell off. And uh, but those first two records. Solid. Right on. Uh, so, like we said, uh, next week we will be in Vancouver. We will probably, hopefully, be recording sporadically from our location there. We'll also be writing. You'll be writing on Seattle Screen Scene. I'll be writing on my own website, and we'll be doing some podcasting. And, uh, yeah, we'll have lots of, of VIF-related content. There's going to be a lot of stuff to talk about. Coming soon. Yes. It's probably going to be our busiest stretch ever yeah uh, <laughs> someone should pay us for this stuff you're not getting paid <laughs> no uh, in the meantime if you can't go to, to Vancouver if you're not going there um, but you're in LA <laughs> uh, you should go to the Egyptian theater uh, in Hollywood uh, they're showing uh, Lawrence of Arabia in 70 millimeter on uh, September 26th at 7 p.m. and you know Lawrence plays like annually in 70 here. Although I don't, I don't know the last time it played at Cinerama. Cinerama's been doing all these laser projectors. They got lasers, uh, and I think they ran that laser. Yeah. Which is if, if that supplanted their 70, uh, I'm just sad. Well, hint for the Cinerama, it doesn't matter if you have lasers if you're projecting off a of Blu-ray. Well, right, exactly. No, I'm saying show the stupid thing on 70. Yes. Uh, we're sitting across the way, by the way, from the really cool Hateful Eight poster uh, that, you know, touts it coming out in Ultra Panavision 70 uh, at Christmas. So uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, also the, the upcoming 70 millimeter release of Krampus. <laughs> and Victor Frankenstein. Should be exciting. Which Sean and I both, uh, once again, when you live on the internet, like you do, how are we supposed to know about things like Krampus? Never, never heard we, about those. Yeah, we think Office Sorry. is the biggest release. Of the we world. need to spend more time hanging out in the lobby of an AMC. <laughs> That's right. Uh, 
One of the one of the films I was hoping would make it to VIF and it is not is uh, the new Frederick Wiseman film in Jackson ah. Heights. Uh, it is playing the New York Film Festival. I think it played in Toronto also. But uh, coming up after the festival at the Museum of the Moving Image is a whole series of Frederick Wiseman films set in New York, and it kicks off on October 9th with the movie Ballet, which I've talked about a couple of times on the show before. It's about the uh, the uh, I can't remember which ballet it's about. One of the ballet, the ballet companies in New York. Uh, and it is a really amazing documentary, as all of the Wiseman films are, and they're really hard to find if you don't happen to live in a city with the greatest video store in the world. Uh, they're really expensive to buy from his website, so uh, definitely go and see the Wiseman films if you're in New York. Yes, do it. Uh, follow along with us as we run around Vancouver. Um, Sean's out of shape. He's not ready for it. Um, but we're going to do it anyway. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Geo Sanders Show. Uh, SeattleScreenScene.com is the website. Uh, and then we've got our own the George, George Sanders, Sanders Show. Show. And you can email us at the George Sanders Show at gmail.com. Uh, how can people talk, get in touch with you in Vancouver since you abhor social media? Uh, they can tweet you, and then you, <laughs> you can text me, me and say something. <laughs> Do that. Everybody send all of your information from Mike to Sean. Okay. And then he can send me like a daily digest. Yeah. <laughs> I will definitely do that. Yeah. All right. Or send it to Melissa. Yeah. Yeah. Let, yes. let Melissa deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> at, at one April day. She will be there in Vancouver also for a couple of days. That's right. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, so that's it for this show. Uh, here's George. Um, and also just a few more moments from the AMC lobby for you. A sigh is just a sigh The fundamental things apply As time goes by And when two lovers woo They still say I love you On that you can rely No matter what the future brings As time goes by Moonlight and love songs Never out of date Hearts full of passion Jealousy and hate Woman needs man and man must have his mate That no one can deny It's still the same old story A fight for love and glory A case of do or die The world will always welcome 